This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Happy holidays and hello and welcome again to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. No holiday break for this crew as we are up here uh, taping a little earlier this week as we know uh, our normal tape day is uh, on Christmas. So hopefully if you're traveling um, this week, we're giving you something to listen to in the car. If you're working out over the holidays, uh, you can tune into us as well. But, um, you know, not, not a lot going on this week as... Things are kind of on shutdown mode, but kind of a good week to, to talk about and reflect on a lot of different topics. And Nate and Robin, uh, the first thing I wanted to really hit on um, is the the new scholarship distribution chart. You know, got a lot of discussion, a lot of views actually um, this week on Husker Online. We broke down the numbers, um, but this one just hit me right in the face immediately. You look at the numbers for Nebraska of your 85 scholarship players today, right now, 40 of the 85 going into 2020 will be redshirt freshmen and true freshmen. And they still have two more additional spots plus Isaac Gifford that will be added to that number in August. So you're looking at Nebraska having anywhere from 41 to 43, potentially mm. freshman redshirt freshman of your 85 on scholarship. I mean, that's insane. Yeah. When half your roster is underclassmen, that is a youth movement to the fullest extent. And uh, I guess that's part of the deal uh, when it comes to really um, this coaching staff is putting their, their footprint uh, on this program um, that's what it takes to now basically their guys are fully in place right now I mean there's been a complete sweep of this roster over the past two years uh, to where this team looks um, completely different and these are all Scott Frost and, and his staff's guys and so you know they're going to be young and with youth uh, there's going to be learning curves but um, I think in theory and the hope is that uh, you know while while young there's probably not only an upgrade in overall talent, but talent that is a much better fit for what they want to do on both sides of the ball. At least that's that's the hope. <laughs> that's what you hope to do assemble over three recruiting classes. So we'll see how it plays out. But uh, Frost and, and his staff certainly did their diligence to make this program theirs uh, and not you know necessarily ease into that type of transition. Yeah, definitely a big upgrade in talent, I believe. It's strong foundation of young talent in the program now. I mean, Think about this. This is the first time since 2005-2006 that Nebraska has been able to stack top 20 classes together. Um, I mean, and that's that's pretty crazy when you think about it, that, that, that it hasn't happened back-to-back top 20 classes since Bill Callahan did it in 05. That's almost 06. hard to believe. Yeah, it's no. crazy. And so – um, and and I think when you look at the roster too, <clears throat> you know I think there's probably a couple points in the season this past year when Scott Frost could have elected to go to a, you know kind of have a youth movement, but he he decided to hold the, or keep the red shirts on a bunch of these these guys and and kind of really continue to build for the future. 
And I also think that that's it's part of the reason why they didn't have a problem taking five junior college players in this year's class because they do have so many young players on this roster. So, um, you know, it, it is pretty – it is a unique situation, but I think in the long run this is going to be a deal where – uh, you know, a couple, two, three years from now, we're going to be talking about how, how loaded they are and, and with experience, too, and, and how just how good this Nebraska team is. Sean, how much do you think that the administrative support Frost has? I mean, th- that's fairly unique, I think, where in today's landscape of college football, you essentially have a three- to four-year window where you're out, where Frost, I mean, he's got as much support from his bosses uh, as probably any coach in the country right now outside of the, the elite. And so, I mean, the ability to assemble this type of roster and you know work with that much of a time frame for growth uh, I think is maybe a little bit unusual for most coaches especially uh, what's happened over the first two seasons well and just look at USC right now Mm -hmm. I mean they um, have a guy but he's really not the guy and it just has killed their program killed them I mean that they lost essentially an entire recruiting class because of Everybody knows Clay Helton's not the guy, but they couldn't get the guy they wanted, so they didn't fire him, and all of a sudden he's back another year kind of as a lame duck until Urban Meyer, Bob Stoops, or whoever comes along will say yes, maybe an NFL guy, whoever USC's going to try to convince to take that job down the road. And I think that has been um, a big deal for Nebraska because so many times here, you know, Pelini had momentum, but he never had the AD support. Um, after Osborne was mm-hmm. gone, you know, Eichhorst never was really going to support him, et cetera, down the line. Bill Callahan obviously had another top five, top ten class coming, and then he got pushed out. He never was able to finish that. Um, and he got pushed out, you know, because they had a bad year. There's no no doubt. But, you know, it, the, the support has never been side-by-side side with AD, coach, president, mm-hmm. like it is right now. Chancellor, excuse me, Chancellor, um, and you have Green, you have Frost, you have Moose. I mean, those three guys are are all behind one another, and it, and it has made a difference, I think. And um, you know, getting this class, I think, you know, Mike Farrell from Rivals.com wrote this week of all the top twenty, Nebraska is the surprise, and you know, I, I think you 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 can't disagree with that. And I think a lot of teams in the Big Ten. They're like, finally, Nebraska is going to have a bad recruiting year. They're going to step down in recruiting because they've been garbage or their record's not been good for three years in a row. Well, they're not going away. And I think you're right, Robin. I think that administrative uh, support, Nate, um, and other things really play a factor. Yeah, it's huge. And, I mean, we talked about it earlier in the season when Scott Frost got the contract extension. Um, You know, what – what was the, you know, I guess what was the, what was behind that and behind the timing of that? Um, and I, I do think that a lot of that had to do with recruiting. Um, and I know that's something that the recruits really, really paid attention to. Whether or not it, it was a recruiting thing, it, it was something that really hit home with a lot of the recruits and especially a lot of the guys in the signing class that they just wrapped up here. Uh, for the most part. I, I mean, a lot of these guys told me when that happened that, hey, you know what, that makes me feel a little bit better that um, I, we know that Nebraska is completely behind Scott Frost. He's for sure going nowhere, uh, at least during my entire tenure uh, at Nebraska. Oh, and by the way, they have all these facilities and everything else coming too. Uh, th- and I think that really did kind of, um, you know, put some put some questions to rest at that point in time. And 
about you know about the season or whatever and about some other teams that were probably trying to poach these players or try to get in their ears and plant some seeds of doubt that uh, you know what Nebraska is just fine it's just going to take maybe another year or two or whatever so um, and, and again I, I think that's part of the reason why Frost didn't have to go towards a, that youth movement because he knew he had time well I think with fans too that's what I'm curious about now obviously the, the administrative side of Nebraska they're okay with this being a long-term build but will Nebraska fans be willing to go through another transition year with all this youth having to kind of learn on the fly um, you know next year's schedule is going to be a grind I mean you open with Big Ten play you got Cincinnati on the schedule you got South Dakota State who's not easy uh, and then Central the, Michigan played for the MAC title sure I mean just go down the list and then the, with the way that the back end of the schedule where four of your final six games are on the road uh, it could be another tough year for Nebraska and again with a lot of young players having to kind of figure it out as they go you know, our fans going to be as patient. You know, there was already some people that were upset the fact that, you know, year two was such a disappointment. Well, now year three and you're looking at, you know, maybe a bowl game being kind of the, the, the high end goal. Uh, I think that's going to be tough for some people to swallow. But with the way that the roster is constructed, it almost seems like that's kind of the reality right now. Well, yeah, there's just so many things. But you look at the offensive line, they have eight freshmen and redshirt freshmen on scholarship, 18 total offensive linemen. Nate, do you ever recall Nebraska having 18 scholarship offensive linemen. So 18, when you when you are kind of constructing your your scholarship breakdown, 18 is like the high end of offensive linemen that you on the 85 that, on the 85 that you will ever carry. 16 is is generally the number that you that you typically have. You know, and it may fluctuate one or two around there, but 18 is like that's about the most that that you'll ever carry. Um, so yeah. I think that, and, and there was talk about Nebraska bringing in another offensive lineman in this class, but it's, I, I think it, basically whenever the decision was made that they got Nuri Newelli. Yeah, well, yeah, and be, between getting him, but they got him as a walk on for one year. So um, I think between getting Nuri and then, you know, when Gaylord got his extra year or whatever and he wanted to come back, I think that basically closed the door on, on them signing another. Uh, offensive linemen in this class but yeah to have 18 linemen on scholarship right now I mean that's that's uh, about as high as you'll ever see but I, I do think it's a good thing and and again when you when you point towards that youth uh, we all know how important it is in the in the Big Ten to to have numbers in the trenches and have strength in the trenches well to have that many young freshmen and redshirt freshmen offensive linemen that are that are growing in the program is a big deal all right well we got college football playoff games coming up on saturday and they're coming right up on us usually you don't play these till closer to new year's day this year it's december 28th so we're gonna give some thoughts on some of these semifinal matchups and other early big 10 bowl games next you're listening here to the husker online show You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. This segment of the Husker Online Show is brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill, four locations in Omaha and one in Lincoln. Get on into Tanner's. Watch all the college football bowl game action. And that's a segue here into our next segment, guys, uh, because Tanner's would be a great place to camp out on Saturday. You're going to have the New Year's Six uh, kicking off here Saturday, and it's a little bit earlier. Um, you know, they, the college football playoff, I think, has really struggled with how and when to play these semifinal games when it's not the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl because 
Um, you know, there is the college football playoff, but the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl still have control over New Year's Day uh, based on contracts. And the SEC really demanded that they get the New Year's Day night spot so the Rose Bowl doesn't have prime billing with playoff games around it every year. So that means two out of three years, the CFP has to figure out when the hell we play these games. One year they tried New Year's Eve, um, and they're like a new tradition. Build your New Year's Eve around college football playoffs. That kind of – Went that didn't work out too well. No, it was terrible. Yeah, I don't um, think I don't think most people's wives were happy with that when dudes were gathered around the TV instead of uh, doing New Year's Eve celebrations. So now they've decided let's play it on like the Saturday that makes the most sense. And this year it's December twenty eighth, three days after Christmas, and it is interesting because. The bowl week experience started December 22nd and, you know, part of the reward of going to New Year's Day bowl game is like you get to go home for a couple of days for Christmas, then go on your bowl triple. All of these teams have had a you know practice right up until when they left on Saturday to go out to these bowl sites. And I did hear Rick Neuheisel talking about that, how he's like, it just doesn't feel right seeing teams having to celebrate Christmas for these playoff games on the road. If you're in a good bowl game, that's usually not how it's played out. So I think there's some kinks in that, but we're going to get two great games Saturday. Um, I'm excited. Um, you're going to have that LSU-Oklahoma game. Oklahoma's going to be without a few key starters. I think a, a safety and a DN is out. Um, academic things, I believe. Um, and then um, the the running back for LSU is out, too. Um, he's, he's got an injury. Um, so there's some big injuries in that game that obviously will get Ohio State-Clemson. That's the uh, maybe when you look at semifinal games that we've had since the playoff era has started, this might be, to me, as good of a semifinal matchup maybe other than Ohio State-Alabama year one. That was a marquee mm -hmm. matchup when you look at who was on the field that game. But this one, to me, is as good as it gets and I'm excited to see how Ohio State does against a team that, quite frankly, they're fa uh, Clemson's favored by a slight margin right now going into this game on Saturday. Which I understand. I mean, you have Trevor Lawrence. You have a team that was just there and just did it. And so experience is certainly on their side. I mean, granted, they lost a lot from last year's team, but, um, you know, it's a, a reload type thing at Clemson. And so, you know, they're going to be um, certainly uh, the most formidable challenge Ohio State has seen yet this season. But I will say... Ohio State this year is the best college football team I've seen in person ever. Um, I've seen some pretty good ones. 95 Nebraska? Well, I mean, different, different Are you talking generators. about like when we're like working our job ever? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. So I don't like to compare eras because it's a different style game right now but so yeah let's just narrow it down to uh professionally speaking uh yeah so i mean they they have no holes uh, i mean with with the way that their offense is running um and their defense is as good as any defense as you're going to see in college football i'm really curious to see how that goes i'm going to pick ohio state to win that game uh just because i don't see any flaws with them and clemson has gotten by on being clemson and playing absolutely nobody in the acc granted they did exactly what they're supposed to do but you know this is the biggest test for ohio state and this is certainly the biggest test for clemson and i think ohio state is going to be ready to uh you know meet that challenge and so i, I like the buckeyes in that one yeah i like the buckeyes too i think they're matched up pretty well but I, I think that um, Ohio State's defensive line is probably what gives them a little bit of the edge. I think I mean, both have great quarterbacks with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and, and great running backs and wide receivers. But I think it's that defensive line and Chase Young, you know, being – He's fresh. Yeah. I mean, he's I – just, I just don't know. I, I think he's the, kind of the difference maker, especially when you look at Trevor Lawrence being more of a drop back passer and not – not more of a dual threat guy. Um, but, I mean, shoot, talk about two of the best young quarterbacks in the nation playing against each other. That, that's going to be 
I think it's going to be a great game. Yeah, both Fields and Lawrence were draft eligible. You could argue they would be the two highest quarterbacks on the board. I mean, Joe Burrow is going to be high up there, and some. But you, you, I mean, would you guys agree or disagree that those might be better draft prospects right now than the guys that are draft eligible? They're up there. I mean, I think Burrow is going to go number one overall. Yeah, Burrow will go number he's, one. He's a no brainer to Cincinnati. You think he's going to go number one to Cincinnati? Yes. Yeah, he's talked to. I mean, he's he's played his way into that spot. Yeah, they have to take a quarterback, and he's and he's, the Ohio, best and he's Ohio. And he's the Ohio yeah. guy. They're already making like bootleg Burrow Bengals jerseys that are yeah. they're selling, <laughs> which uh, the NFL can't do yet until he signs with representation so people are making a killing on the early market there how about that though the storyline of former nebraska quarterback zach taylor becomes the coach that signs or recruits joe burrow finally yep. he, he technically gets to play for nebraska frost said no <laughs> Pelini said no taylor said yes <laughs> oh god <laughs> that's great all right but the the oklahoma lsu game I think that's going to be pretty one-sided. I think LSU is a far superior team to Oklahoma, especially considering uh, the the key players Oklahoma is going to be without. I think Burrow puts on a show, and they uh, win by a couple scores and advance the championship game. Yeah, I just I, I agree with you. I I do think it will be closer than maybe what what some may initially think, but I mean, no one has really slowed down Burrow in that offense completely, or shut them down, or gotten them to to kind of stumble, uh, I, I feel like. It, it, yeah, and I don't think Oklahoma is going to be able to do it. I, I think I think it'll be LSU and Ohio State playing for it all. That's going to be a huge LSU crowd, too. I mean, the, the fact oh, that they, yeah. they were just up there a few weeks ago for the uh, SEC championship, and they, they took over Atlanta. And so mm-hmm. uh, that's going to be a, a nice uh, home field advantage for a neutral site game. Yeah, LSU really has a great road. that They play in Atlanta, and then if they win, the championship game's in New Orleans. Um, so their fan base has had it pretty easy. SEC title, I mean, all their games that they've had to go to are drivable. Um, so that they're going to have a really, really good fan. But Ohio State, they travel as well as any fan base we see too. So that LSU, Ohio State, if that game happens, the game that we want to see, mm-hmm. that might be one of the more expensive tickets ever. Well, especially with it being in New Orleans. I and mean. <laughs> I mean, because Ohio State fans are going to be there come hell or high water, and LSU fans are going to be there come hell or – I mean, that – I know there was a year was Auburn, Florida State. That was one of the most expensive. I think the get-in price for that game was still like it was like five six hundred dollars. Mm. I mean, for the cheap seat, crazy. Um, and it might have been more than that. Um, and I think the get-in for that LSU Ohio State would be crazy. Oh, it'll be huge if that game. And I, I mean, we hope that game happens, but um, it, it will be interesting just to see. Penn State also plays Memphis uh, without Mike Norvell. Um, he did not follow the Scott Frost. Um, Group of five, New Year's six plan to coach his team through. I think a couple of reasons for Norvell. Number one, I'm guessing Florida State said hell no. Yeah. Um, yes. Because after what Frost. Nebraska was very generous to let Frost do that. Um, and, you know, number two, you know, Frost was undefeated. Norvell had a loss to Temple. So they weren't playing for, you know, a third. A mythical national mythi- championship. Yeah. <laughs> a mythical national championship. So uh, I, I think, I think if anything, Frost probably showed that probably nobody should ever do that again. Um, the yeah. way the way he went through that that oh, year, man, he almost killed himself doing that. Yeah. Like he wore himself to the bone trying to do that. I mean, like throwing up on the practice field. The reports of that it did allow us to go to Atlanta, though. That's true. Yes. So keep. I mean, if it ever happens again and it involves Nebraska, I'm I'm all for it. If Nebraska can somehow find a way to the Peach Bowl, that is a, a destination bowl game for any for anybody looking. Into I that. didn't pay for a meal or a drink <laughs> the entire week. It was a great week in Atlanta and ate Chick Fil A in the press box. Um, so yeah, it was. It'll be interesting. So you guys 
are going chalk, right? LSU, Ohio State, both of you guys? I think so. Yep. And Penn State? That's the other uh, Saturday mm. Bowl, New Year's Six game? Wait. Ohio State, Clemson's favored by two and a half. Oh, yeah. I, I'm saying, so I don't know. Yeah, you're right. It's not. I'm going well, by. Technically not technically chalk. By seeds. I'm going by seeds chalk. chalk. Oh, okay, by, okay. I'm okay, going okay. by seed chalk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, seed chalk. Seed chalk. <laughs> not Vegas not, chalk. Not spread chalk. Not wise guy chalk. Monsanto seed chalk. Here, right? <laughs> the soybean, yeah. Barbecue. Barbecue. <laughs> All right. Well, when we come back, we are going to change the subject here, and we're going to talk some Nebraska basketball and that disappointing game against North Dakota, and Nebraska has a bye game on Sunday, 1 o'clock game they just announced. Who do they play again? It's like a five. Texas A&M Corpus Christi. (laughs) Red Panda is going to be there for anybody that's into that. I mean, that's That's a game appointment viewing right there in itself. So we'll talk bye game basketball, which Nebraska has struggled in this year next. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, now Robin Washett, as we are going to talk some Nebraska basketball as trying to figure out this team. I'm just not trying to figure it out. I'm Good just, luck. I'm just trying to have fun going to Pinnacle Bank Arena with my family, get a bag of Colby Ridge popcorn. And, and what I see, you know, you, you don't know what's going to happen week to week. And, um, you know, that game against North Dakota on Saturday – Pretty much a full house for a, a buy game banked up on Christmas. There were no students there. So you already know, like, those four games without students, the atmosphere is going to be a little bit dicey. That crowd badly wanted to get into that game, um, but Nebraska just could not give them a reason to get into that game. And, you know, like Hoiberg said, we got what we deserved. Yeah, every time Nebraska seemed to, you know, get some momentum, they would give up an uncontested layup or an open three-pointer to allow North Dakota to essentially control that game from start to finish. And Nebraska didn't lead from, like, the 13-minute mark in the first half until, like, 142 left in, in regulation. Uh, and, I mean, that's uh, pretty crazy. So not only did they lose, they kind of got dominated in the fact that North Dakota – um, you know, they set the tone uh, from from start to finish, and Nebraska was not able to match that effort. And that was the big fear going into that game was Nebraska was feeling really good about itself for a whole week, you know, going to Indiana, doing what they did, nearly pulling off the upset, and then whipping Purdue at home uh, in the span of 48 hours. You know, they, they were starting to think that maybe they turned the corner and things were finally starting to um, come together. And then, you know, they had the week off over finals, and they came back against a, a lesser-name opponent, and they did not bring it in any sense. And it was far too late before they started playing. And like Hoiberg said, you know, they, they got what they deserved in that one. And so now the, the key is you have one more, quote-unquote, tune-up game before the final 18 games. And they're games. not tune-up games of this team. Absolutely. They're no. like, when you lose three of them, they are no longer tune-up games. So, uh, so one more, I guess, game, non-conference game. Let's just call it what it is. Before <laughs> 18 straight Big Ten games. And as we've said before, uh, this year in the Big Ten, it's as uh, full of parity as we've seen. Top to bottom, the league is as strong as I've seen it. Uh, they may not have like the clear-cut national champion, but there's four or five teams that can make Final Four runs if, if they get hot at the right time. And then, you know, there's no easy – Northwestern almost beat Michigan State. Rutgers has beaten people. Penn State is significantly Penn better. Penn State's ranked. I know. And so uh, the, the usual kind of uh, pecking order 
it's all for grabs right now. And so if Nebraska, with as inconsistent as they've been, they better figure it out and find a way to bring the right effort night in, night out, or else you're going to get far more uh, disappointing performances down the stretch here. What's going on with Gervais Green, Robin? Yeah. You, you look at that situation. He was suspended for unknown reasons, comes back, gets kind of a quick hook. And, you know, we got, we've got a guy that we know that sits by the bench and he tipped you off during – I mean, he was, he was acting like a complete – nut job on the bench you yeah. know upset so it was leading up before that um i think somebody uh, on a board i read pointed it out where uh he missed or there was a possession where cam mack took a shot and Gervais green's throwing his arms up you know yelling like why didn't i get the ball like basically like, during the game like making a scene uh and they pulled him at that during, point then during a timeout he's like yelling at one of his teammates and hoiberg sits him down and gervais like you know punching his fists together, uh, putting a towel over his head, screaming into a towel. Like there's like tears in his eyes. Uh, I mean, so like a, a full on, like emotional breakdown. And he did the same thing against Creighton too. Uh, I saw it with my own eyes. I was right across the, the, the court from him. Uh, and then, I mean, he was like having to be consoled by like a team manager. And so clearly there's something going on with Gervais. And then you pair that with being suspended three hours before the Indiana game. Uh, I mean, some, something's not right there. And then you pair the fact that Nebraska played his two best games of the season with him out. I mean, that's um, there's there's something that needs to be addressed I'm not there connecting the dots, but I'm connecting the dots. Yeah, and so, I mean, <laughs> you, you hate to just, like, pile on the guy, but, I mean, he's he's putting himself out there in the sense that when, when he's playing, you know, Nebraska isn't playing all that well. And so get this. He played 15 minutes against North Dakota and had a minus six plus minus, the worst on the team. Well, he only played five minutes in the second half and checked out at the 817 mark. From the 817 mark on, Nebraska outscored North Dakota 21 to 14. And so, I mean, draw your own conclusions I'm not, there. I'm just saying. And, and <laughs> I think that honestly, like we made this observation, you know, coming out of Purdue was with one less mouth to feed, and Gervais Green took up a lot of the offense. He, you know, uh, had the most three pointer attempts. I think he was up there with shot attempts uh, and, you know, was a really high volume player uh, with the ball in his hands. With him out of it, suddenly Deshaun Burke's averaging 21 points per game. Suddenly Cam Max putting up triple doubles. Uh, you know, Thor Thorbjorn Arson is playing the best basketball of his career. And so with him out, guys had to step up, and they answered the call. You put him back in, and you know they kind of revert back to their old habits. So I'm really curious to see just kind of what happens uh, now that we're at semester break. Um, you know, sometimes things can, can happen quickly, and not to foreshadow, but uh, they need to address it one way or the other. Yeah, they. I mean, it, it will be interesting how Hoiberg goes about that. They've already had Stevenson leave the program for similar reasons. He's upset, but Curtis, Kurt, or Curtis. I'm sorry, yeah, Samari Curtis. Um, and you know, Green. Theoretically, when the season started, you kind of looked at him as one of the two or three best players. Obviously, yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean he's the best guy for Nebraska. Yeah, I mean, you know, this this roster was thrown together to see what sticks, and <laughs> that's part of the process of this season is finding out who your core group of guys are and. Right now, I mean, the evidence suggests that Gervais might not be in that conversation. Now, granted, I don't, again, he was averaging over 10 points per game. He's one of the team leaders in like every single statistical category, defense and offense. So, I mean, he, he's bringing something to the table. But when you pair that with when he was out, how well Nebraska played and how they just came together as a team, that's hard to ignore. Uh, and so I'm, you know, this is a real challenge, I think, for this coaching staff of how you handle that, because the last thing you want is internal drama in your locker room, making a already difficult task that much tougher. Yeah. Now the schedule, the players, how many days did they get to go home, Robin? Uh, they come back, I think, 
the the day after Christmas, twenty six. Yeah, and you know, I heard Fred on the, on his radio show say that they're going to have two a day practices when they come back. Is that yeah. normal for yeah. a post break? Or well, is that... I, th- I think the worst thing that happened was the fact that those guys get to go home after that North Dakota game. He wanted to come back that next morning. Uh, Fred was as angry and dis- distressed after that game as we've seen him yet. Uh, that was a game that really bothered him. Well, if you're a former coach of the Chicago Bulls, you don't lose the frickin' North Dakota. I mean, that, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. It, 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 Especially this far along in the season. I mean, their head coach probably makes 150 grand a year. Yep. And, and they came in and whipped him. I mean, like it wasn't like they like pulled off some sort of magical upset. They dominated that game where Nebraska like could not get over the hump, and they led for a grand total of like four minutes in that game. So, uh, I mean, that the, the Hoiberg is. I think when they get back to, to Lincoln and those guys are back on the practice floor, they're going to be in for it, and there's going to be some tough decisions to, to be made. Yeah, and they're they're going to get after it because they have to. They have no choice. You have one more game against Texas A&M Corpus Christi where you're going to be favored, and then you're going into league play where everything is up for grabs every single night. You might, I mean, 18 league games, they might be favored in one or two at the most. Yeah, I mean, you got Northwestern at home, that's for sure. Um, I think they'll get maybe a couple home game edge, especially if they're able to start out fast, but they have a lot to prove right now. And, you know, Ken Palm, uh, end of the season, said they were going to go 1-19 and in Big Ten play. Well, they've won one. We'll see what happens from here on out. Yeah. Yeah, it will be interesting. Uh, but, yeah, nice nice time to kind of recollect and, and see where things go from here as, you know, just when we kind of thought, you know what, maybe a little bit of momentum going to that Friday night Rutgers game. They could get three in a row and come home for, um, you know, January 4th, mm-hmm. a Friday night game. And I believe that will be Nebraska's first Big Ten Friday night game they've played since the Big Ten's gone to that Fox package on Friday. So um, I'm looking forward to that game on Friday, but it would have been nice if they could have gotten that win over North Dakota. Oh, for sure. And especially, you know, I mean, they would have won three in a row and then nearly upset Indiana on the road. With I a mean, winnable game against Rutgers. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got Rutgers and Iowa, which, um, you know, I was without um, Jordan Bohannon. So, I mean, they're... They're down. I mean, they're down for their standards. They just too. had a good win against Cincinnati. But anyway, but then you go to Northwestern. I mean, that's as good of a three-game start to the schedule as Nebraska's had in January, um, maybe since they joined the conference. All right, well, when we come back, Mike Wheeler is going to join us here in studio. We'll take your questions in the mailbag next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, and bringing in Husker Online intern Mike Wheeler. We only got you one more mailbag, Mike, so we'll save all the, the crazy stories and goodbyes for our next week's show. Um, that sounds good to me. So we'll, we'll go easy on you, and maybe we'll take you out to lunch after the show next week. All right, sounds but good. But what do you got to lead us off here? All right, so if you guys had to bet, do you think that the proposed move of Ben Hart to starting right tackle and Mark, Matt Farniak to right guard happens this year? And assuming that it does, who wins the left guard spot? I think they have to find a way to shake it up. And what's really difficult about this offensive line, guys, going into next year is everybody returns. They do not lose one single scholarship player on the offensive line um, our key player. So, you know, how do you make a group better that really didn't play great at times last year? You shake it up. And I think long term, everybody knows Ben Hart's a, a better prospect than what they have out there. So I do think you almost have to kind of go the Cam Jurgens route with Ben Hart and, and know that this is the answer for the future. 
and we've got to make this happen to make Nebraska football better. Well, especially you know, we're just talking about how uh, big of a youth movement this is going to be. I mean, there's going to be a lot of guys out there that are having to learn the hard way. And I think that you got a guy that is going to be a uh, cornerstone of your offensive line for years to come. Just put him out there. Let him grow. I mean, the only way that you're going to take that next step as a player is by getting out there and actually playing in games. Now, they, let me throw this out at you. What about Turner Corcoran? Could he come in in the spring and, you know, could he be ahead of a Ben Hart? Or do you think the one-year Ben Hart is going to be something that has him far ahead right now? Well, I see Ben Hart and Corcoran as two different types. I think Ben Hart is a right tackle, and I think Corcoran is a left tackle. Um, now, I, I would not be surprised if Corcoran puts his puts his way or his kind of elevates himself into the the discussion of playing, playing as a true freshman. Uh, I think he's that good. He's going to be on campus early. Um, you know, I, I think about the two names that were routinely brought up uh, throughout this season by Greg Austin and even some of the other co- coaches on offense were uh, obviously Ben Hart and Ethan Piper. And I think those are two guys that you really have to pay attention to when when you're talking about kind of reshuffling the offensive line and whether that's, you know, moving Farniok inside and, and elevating Ben Hart to that right tackle. Um, you know, and, and talking about the other guard spot, I could see Ethan Piper being that guy. Uh, but like I was going to say, Corcoran could be maybe the wild card in that whole group. There are so many talented young offensive linemen that there's a lot of different things they could do. Uh, but I, I think it's those three main main guys that that you're that you're probably talking about. All right, guys, looking ahead now to next year, what position group do you think will have the least interesting competition just due to having the most starters come back? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question because I think there's going to be a little bit of shakeup on every group right now, but tight end is probably the safe play right now. I mean, Volkolek, though, could still shake it up. Yeah, that's that's the big piece there. um, What's he going to do? Uh, I'm just trying to talk this out loud here. Running back Mills is going to be the starter, but who you know who who will be the secondary guy with Mills? It's hard to say. We know quarterbacks going to get shaken up quite a bit. Offensive line, we we expect shake up. Um, receiver um, with Omar Manning, I mean coming in and some of the guys coming in, but yeah, I, I mean I, I think you're going to get a fair, not a, a ton of shake up, but enough to really matter on almost every position group. I'll say uh, individual position center. There will not be much competition at center. <laughs> Hey, Ethan, what about Ethan Piper? <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah, I, I see Piper more as a guard, though. Yeah, I do too. I think I don't think they are going to move Jorgens around a whole lot. He's, he's I, their guy. I'd have to agree with you, Robin. I, but yeah, as far as position groups, I, I, there's yeah. going to be competition across the board. That's how everywhere. it should be, too. and that is how it should be. Um, you know, I guess you could make the argument that maybe defensive back is maybe that's an area where there's not going to be a ton. Obviously there's going to be some players vying for Lamar Jackson's open spot and that could, you know, shake some things up. And especially with the way Travis Fisher likes to do it, where he likes to have guys that are versatile players that could do safety, nickel corner, whatever. But um, yeah, I, I see competition across the board, regardless of position. Well, I mean, kind of building off of off, of, of that topic, uh, who are the incoming freshmen most likely to not redshirt this season that we are going to see in that competition? Uh, I mean, Keyshawn Green. Um, are we talking about all incoming freshmen, all positions? Yeah, all positions. I think he. I mean, I'll, I'll just go with one. I think Keyshawn Green to me is one that you know when you look at the needs of linebacker, especially on the inside. Um, in his background and his playing ability, 
I mean, he, he to me is a guy that could come in right away as a true freshman. Yeah, out of players that are not going to redshirt, I, I look at a guy like Sevion Morrison. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, or maybe even Marvin Sky, either one of those running backs. Um, you know, I think that's not only is that a position where true freshmen tend to make an impact and play early on. Uh, but I think that both of those kids are talented enough to, uh, to you know, I guess, increase the, the level of play there with what they have um, and could see the field early on. And, and of course, Marvin Scott, um, and I think several of the coaches have said this, that, you know, physically he is, he is on par, ready to – he could step on the, on the field today and play in college, uh, you know, hands down. Any of those other linebackers, you think, like a Gunnarsson? My my only question about Gunnarsson is how he's how he's going to handle coming off of the hip surgery. He had mm-hmm. he had hip surgery as soon as his season ended to kind of correct that that uh, the the his other hip uh, that he had. You know he had one hip corrected before senior year. Had the other hip corrected uh, here just a couple months ago. He is going to be on campus early, but um, yeah, I mean I think he could see playing time, but a lot of it is going to you know kind of be sure. dependent upon his health well nate then there's what three freshman defensive backs francois uh linem and no, there's four four that will no that will be in early oh yeah yeah uh, francois linem and henry gray so you, you got campus early. three pretty big guns coming in yeah. and i mean it's not like nebraska's back in has been lights out i mean so one of those guys i mean one or two of those guys could probably play next year too yeah yeah, and yeah, it would not surprise me. And plus, I think you could make a case that all all those guys could really help improve Nebraska's special teams too. We got time for two more, Mike. All right, uh, Robin, quickly here, uh, moving over to basketball. Can you maybe give us an update on what happened with the recruitment of Donovan Williams, parting ways with the top one fifty recruit in your own backyard? Might not sit well with some people, but what do you have on that? Yeah, it was um, not a total surprise, uh, given kind of reading the tea leaves going into that. Uh, you know, obviously. Donovan uh, reaffirmed his commitment with Nebraska, and Nebraska kind of you know, picked up his recruitment when Hoiberg took over back in the spring. And then Donovan blows out his ACL in the first AU tournament um, of of the spring, and you know has pretty significant uh, knee surgery to where uh, he still hasn't even played in the game yet for Lincoln North Star. So I mean that that recovery has been pretty extensive. Um, but Nebraska stuck with him, and they went all the way into November uh, during the early signing period, and. Gave him every opportunity to sign his letter of intent. He chose not to. Um, the reasoning was supposedly because he wanted his family to be in town. I don't really buy that. I think that he wanted to see what Nebraska's roster was going to look like next season. And then when they got the uh, commitment from Teddy Allen, that kind of was the straw that broke the camel's back to where um, you know, Donovan saw that he wasn't going to be a day one starter and thought that there would be other opportunities for him to do that. And so he's going to you know, reopen his commitment. And, you know, I've, it's disappointing that he's a Lincoln kid um, and actually had the recruiting credentials that separated him from uh, most any Lincoln prospect that has come through the last couple of decades. Since Matt Hill, arguably. Yeah, probably. And, uh, but at the same time, you know, Nebraska, you know, they gave him a chance and Donovan didn't want to sign. And so they didn't stop recruiting and they got a, another quote unquote in-state kid that, you know, right now, probably in his career is better than Donovan. So it, it, it wasn't a surprise, but disappointing. But, you know, it is what it is. Final question, Mike. All right, guys, give me your favorite holiday movie that you like to watch around this time. Ooh. I mean, you cannot beat Christmas Vacation. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. Um, I mean, that, that has to be up there. Um, I mean, all the one-liners. And, I mean, Clark Griswold is just an American gem um, yep. all around. Cousin Eddie. Cousin Eddie. Yep. Um, Christmas Story, too. I mean, I think that's that's pretty much a given. At least in my house, that's a given. Yeah. And then uh, – 
Oh, what was the other one that I like? Oh, uh, Scrooged. Do you ever see that with Bill Murray? It's like from back in like the late 80s. I don't think I have seen that. Oh, it's, that's a good one. That's good. one of my favorite it's Christmas good. stories right there. Die Hard? <laughs> yeah, no. Get that whole debate right, going. We're ending that, it right that's now. a whole. <laughs> nope. Nope. By the way, Die Hard is a summer release, but it's considered a Christmas movie because it, it took place over a Christmas party. <laughs> that, that, I mean, that, that, that you want to get like movie people fired up, have the Die Hard is it a Christmas movie debate. I think it is. Sure. Why not? I mean, yeah, he's at a Christmas party when Nakatomi Tower got taken over. <laughs> the, the, the most confusing part from a football fan element is. There was a football game on on New Year's Eve, and some sports writer joked it was a hell of a Sheridan Hawaii Bowl that year. It was, <laughs> it was Notre Dame like USC in the Sheridan Hawaii Bowl. That's hilarious. <laughs> What's yours, Mike? You know, I like to go really old school. We watch it every Christmas Eve, but It's a Wonderful Life is a staple in my wow. family. Very sentimental pick yeah. by Mike. Very sentimental. Well, Christmas Vacation was already taken, so There's the, I had to mix it up a bit. What's the, the Christmas, a Christmas Carol with George C. Scott? It's like a classic Christmas the old, carol. old one. Yeah, yeah, really good. Do your wives watch Hallmark movies? No, like my wife hates Hallmark oh, movies. That's all we watch. That's all my wife watches in our house. I mean, it it's, takes over our TV for about two months. So it'll be interesting to see what's on after Christmas. <laughs> all right, Mike. Uh, we'll see you next week in in your final show. Uh, that wraps it up here for the mailbag. We'll take your questions. Or sorry, Nate Klaus. We'll talk recruiting here next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show. This segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by our friends at Coogler Vision, Nate Klaus. Tell them about your experience at Coogler Vision. Well, there, there's a reason why I love it over at Coogler Vision so much, and and that's a, partly just because of the customer service that I've received over there. A lot of, a lot of uh, doctor's offices are kind of cold and stale, uh, but that's not the case at Coogler Vision. Uh, I've always been greeted and o- with open arms, very friendly. They always, they've got a great great selection of cookies over there. I was going to say, we, we got cookies when I went in yeah. there. Yeah, so, I mean, that that is awesome. But um, I have I just had my three-month checkup not too long ago, and everybody knew my name, um, and, and it, it just you feel uh, cared for there. And over 600 people agree. They've, they've got over 600 um, you know, endorsements um, and, and uh, on online Google reviews, if you will, and they were just named for the third year in a row, uh, Omaha's number one LASIK um, eye care procedure uh, center. So uh, I, I encourage you to check out LASIKOmaha.com and, and see how Coogler Vision can help you in 2020. All right, we're back here on the Husker Online Show, Nate, and we didn't get to talk about this last week about Xavier Betts because it happened so late after we taped the show, uh, but he ends up signing Thursday afternoon one thing, I, I was trying to connect the dots on why it played out that way. And, you know, we don't know the answer to this because when we're taping this show, we still don't know if Maurice Washington's on the team. But I think most of us assume Maurice Washington's done at Nebraska. Yeah. Scott Frost met with him Thursday. That was the meeting that he talked about on signing day. And then all of a sudden they were at 88 with Washington. 88 is the most scholarships you can be over on the Big Ten rules when you submit your letters of intent in. Well, they parted ways with Washington. They were back down to 87. All of a sudden Frost calls Xavier Betts and says, you can sign now. Um, I mean, I, I, were you surprised that they, because, you know, we were, we were thinking this may not happen until May or June that, that Betts not, may not sign to Nebraska. Yeah, I was, I was surprised. Um, and, and it's not because of the 88 or anything like that, that, you know, it all is about the academics to me because, and like we've talked about before, you know, as soon as you sign, your your name is essentially you're taking up one of those spots uh, for that 25 at least, 
for for a full cycle. And so um, I think it must have been a combination of a: Do you really want your your top player in the state, who is also, by the way, a top 100 overall prospect in the country and one of the top receivers in the country, to kind of be out there as a free agent, more or less, um, here for the next what six weeks or or however many however long it is to the February signing date, um, and also. You know what? What's his academic situation like? So, so maybe maybe they certainly probably didn't want him being a um, a free agent, and then um, maybe they got some good news with how the first semester ended up, and and things are looking better academically, and that he's on track to to qualify. So, um, you know, there's a lot of different factors in play here, but uh, most certainly. It points towards them feeling confident that he's going to be on campus and and being able to to go through everything here next fall. Well, yeah, the semester ended in Omaha and Nebraska high schools on Friday, so they had a probably good read on credits. I know the ACT score though is really what they're worried about yeah. the most. Yep. Um, but yeah, you think about this scenario, Nate. Let's say Alabama or Oklahoma or Clemson have a flurry of guys declare for the draft in January, and all of a sudden they have a wide receiver spot that needs filled or, or multiple wide receiver or mul- spots. What's to stop Saban or Kirby smart or any of these guys to barge into Omaha and demand, not demand, but pre- pretty much demand in home visits with bets. You don't tell when those guys want to in home you, you don't tell them no. Yeah. I mean, and I don't care who it is. It could be Alabama, Georgia, LSU. I mean, I mean, pretty much anybody who's coming off of the college football playoff here in a couple of weeks. They have a flurry of guys go this, pro. Yeah, they're going to have a bunch of guys that declare for the draft, and they're going to have open spots. And, and um, you know, I, yeah, I, if they come to your school, whether you're the, the prospect or the high school coach, whatever, you're going to listen to them. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that had to have played into the, the fact that why Nebraska wanted him to, to go ahead and sign and essentially – uh, be off the market there for for anybody, uh, but uh, uh, I also do think that that Xavier was able to close the the first semester out strong. I, I know that I've been told that that he was on track to have a really good semester there, but uh, like you said, I, I think that if he's able to to increase his uh, ACT score at least by a notch or two, uh, that really then gives him some more breathing room heading into the second semester. And, and obviously, you know, if he needs, if he needs a summer to clean anything up or whatever too. So now Nebraska at Nate has two spots left. Um, if you count Washington, they're at 89 scholarships. If you count Isaac Gifford, who goes on in August, they're at 90. So they will have a chance to be, you know, today, 92 players on scholarship. We know that's not going to happen because it can't happen. Um, there's going to be attrition that happens, whether it's players graduating, like Pernell Jefferson graduated in December. I don't think anyone thinks Pernell Jefferson's coming back for a fifth year at Nebraska. And you're going to see, I think, some of those types of things play out from now until May or June. Uh, but, A, do you believe Nebraska is for sure going to sign at least one guy in February? Or do you think they'll hold both spots for the portal? I mean, how do you think they play out these final two? I don't know. I I lean more towards Nebraska signing at least one guy in February. Um, I just it, the the portal to me is is so hit or miss um, 
But at the same time, you know, what the portal looks like now is not definitely not what it's going to look like three or four months from now after spring football is played out and, and after the second semester of the academic calendar year is, is over with. Um, there's going to be a lot more names in the portal. So I think you for sure save at least one spot for the portal, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they go ahead. If there's a guy out there that they know they like, I, I think you, you go you go for him and you, you go and try and sign him. And, um, and to me, when I look at the – the recruiting class, defensive line is still an area of need that I think Nebraska would like to address, and, and certainly defensive end is is among those. They were able to close with uh, Fildarius Payne, who's a JUCO D end, uh, but I do think they'd like to get a, a high school D end in that mix too. And uh, Tanoa Togiai is is probably you know I think right at top of the board there. Uh, I know Nusi Milani out of California is another D end that's visited Nebraska. Uh, but I, I think Tanoa is the guy that they'll probably go after. But um, I do also think there could be a couple names that pop up. You know, now that the dust is finally starting to settle from the signing day, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, if if some conversations are had during you know over the over the dead period, or some coaches are talking with Nebraska's coaches, or whatever, and and all of a sudden there's a name or two uh, that maybe weren't initially on Nebraska's radar that all of a sudden are here. Once uh, I think January 16th or 17th is when the dead period ends. Well, Nate, we, and we know this January is going to be a lot about 2021 this yep. year. Maybe more advanced recruiting will go on in January this year, perhaps ever than before. And a lot of it is 500 mile radius. Uh, I got a couple questions for you on that. Number one, is this as good of an early 500 mile radius group as you, as you have seen when you look at Iowa, Nebraska, South Dakota, et cetera, Kansas, Missouri, um, of guys, Colorado, that Nebraska's in on already? And two, give me the two to three names taking Teddy Prochaska out of it because we already know he's one of them but give me about two names that you kind of want to build this class around for 21. Yeah for sure Uh, I mean the the talent and the depth in the 500 mile radius for 2021 is is as good as I've seen in a long long time Um, I mean you could make a case right now with how things stand and with the the players that Nebraska has offered that you know they could very well have half of their 2021 class be comprised of of these 500 mile radius types of guys and so uh so yeah it's it's really really impressive um now two or three names outside of Prohaska who's already committed to Nebraska uh I think Thomas Fedoni out of uh Lewis Central and Council Bluffs is has got to be one of those names that that is uh kind of a must get if you will in this class he's big 6'4 6'5 215 220 pound tight end that has just blown up. Uh, and I think Nebraska was like his third offer uh, behind Iowa State and Iowa in you know the end of October, and now the, he's got like 15 offers from pretty much every Power Five conference in the country. Uh, and then of course TJ Bowlers, um, you know, out of Clear Creek, Iowa. Uh, I, I think that I think that those two guys, you know, and Bowlers is a Rivals 100, Rivals 250 outside linebacker, and that's still a position of need. As he is a pass rusher, uh, somebody that could get after the quarterback, pretty dynamic athlete. And uh, so those two Iowa prospects right there, I think, are are right up at the top of the board. And when you go back and you look at how Nebraska kind of handled things, um, you know, at this time last year, 
you you heard about them every week that they could. They were stopping by Turner Corcoran's high school, making you know making their presence felt there. They were stopping by Logan Smothers High School, making their presence felt there. Nash Hutmacher's high school, Blaze Gunnerson's high school. They were going all in once a week. They can go once a week, even for even for twenty ones. Yes. Because so, they they can discount it as an evaluation stop. It's not. It's different than the spring. Yeah. Because the spring can go once or twice. The, the spring you get two. You get a you get a quote unquote academic evaluation, and then you get a, an athletic evaluation. So silly how they term it. Like, yeah. I mean, because come on. Yeah. So so yeah. So technically, you know, one of your one of your visits in the spring could be to go meet with his counselor or whatever to gather but a bump, transcripts. A bump could still happen. Yeah. And then, and, <laughs> and they then, happen. Yeah, and they happen. Um, and then the other the other time would be to you know watch them at track practice or watch them lift weights in the morning or whatever you know or or if they have spring football at whatever school that this kid's at they can watch that. But uh, but yeah, I mean last year you were you were hearing about the coaches every time that they possibly could they were making their presence felt at all these top guys schools and and I think Thomas Fedoni and and, and TJ Bowlers um, and a handful of other 500 mile radius guys I mean we're going to hear the same thing here once uh once the contact period fires back up in January well it should be exciting Nate uh, hope you have a safe happy holiday I know you're doing some traveling out west so yep. uh, safe travels to you and your family and and Merry Christmas to Stacy and your girls yeah Merry Christmas to you too all right well that wraps it up and and happy holidays here from everyone here from the Husker Online staff thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online your authority on Nebraska athletics 